How many of you know what a trust fall is? All right, most of you seem to know. In case you don't, a trust fall is where you fall backwards and you trust that the person who is behind you is going to catch you before you split your head open on the ground. That's what it is. And there are two different ways that this happens. One of those is that the person behind you knows that you're going to fall and they're prepared to catch you. The other is where you just sort of walk along the road and and you just yell, trust fall, and then you fall into the person and you hope that they catch you. It would be kind of like this. Trust fall. Nobody? Really? Nobody moved a muscle to come help me out with that? Well, I had a feeling that that might be the way that it would go. And so if we were going to see a trust fall today, we'd probably have to be one that I showed to you. So go ahead and take a look at some trust falls. There's one. what a trust fall is, and, uh, and sometimes it doesn't work out so well for the one who is trusting. Today we are continuing on in our sermon series, All I Want for Christmas, and we're going to be talking about the simplicity of trust. We're going to be tra- talking about trust today. Now, we started this series a couple of weeks ago, and if you were with us then or if you weren't, we started out by talking about the spirit of wonder and how we very much want this season of the year to be one where we enter into wonder, and it's still not too late for that. And if you've been missing out on the wonder of the season because you've been so busy and you're running here and there, you might want to go back a couple of weeks and pick up on that series we talked about, or that sermon. We talked about a lot of very important things, very practical things that you could take and do. We talked about the importance of stop, drop, and roll. And we weren't talking about fire, and so that might be one that you're intrigued by. You want to go back and catch that up. Last week we talked about the thrill of hope, and we talked about how Jesus can renew our hope in this season. You might want to catch that one. But this one, today we're talking about the simplicity of trust. And what I mean by simplicity, I'll explain a little bit later, but because what I want to be sure that you know right up front is that I don't believe that trust is simple. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, trust can be one of the most difficult things that there is in our life to go ahead and execute or exercise towards someone else. That's the fact of the matter, and you've probably come to experience that for yourself. You might see it in the relationship with your boss, where you just wish that your boss would trust you more, that he would give you a little bit more responsibility, but instead all that your boss does is look over your shoulder, and he questions the things that you are doing. Or maybe you see it with your parent, where you wish that they would trust you more about where it is that you're going and what it is that you're doing, but they just don't extend that sort of trust to you. You might see it in your relationship with your spouse, where there are things that are said or actions that are carried out that just make it clear that they don't, they don't fully believe in your character. They don't fully believe in your reliability. You might also see that in your relationship with God where you're not quite ready to go all in because it feels a bit like going out on a limb and you're afraid if you go out on the limb and go all in for God that he's just not going to respond as you would desire that he might respond. It might not work out the way that you were thinking. And I understand how you might find yourself in any of those circumstances today, but just because we're there doesn't mean we should be there. 
It doesn't mean that that's really where we want to be and ultimately should end up. And what I want for all of us in this Christmas season is that our trust relationships would grow, that the score that you might give yourself in terms of what sort of a trusting person that you are going outward from yourself, that that score would increase by a couple of points or maybe five or ten or whatever the case might be, that it would increase in any case. Now, I imagine for some of you, we bring up this topic of, yeah, we should trust more, and, and you're like, yeah, you've got this innate sense of that's something that I ought to do. But I'm not so sure that everybody believes that. That we're all in that same boat, which leads us to this question that we're going to address as we get started. Why do we need to trust? Why do we even have this sermon? Why are we even talking about these things here today? I think this is important. Can't I just go on kind of trusting at the level I am? Can't I just trust in myself? Can't I just leave it there? Well, you can leave it there if you want to. You can walk out of here exactly the way that you walked in, and you can do that, and that's an option open to you. But before you do that, I would just like for you to consider some of the benefits to extending the trust that we put off onto other people that we might allow it to grow. What are some of the benefits? Well, the first of those I'd point out to you is that it defeats cynicism. Trusting more defeats cynicism. When we refuse to extend trust, it's because we don't believe that people are trustworthy. And the chances are that you've brushed up against someone who led you to that outcome. That you've had a situation where you trusted someone and they didn't come through. They failed you. And as a result, you got burned. And that's a very natural outcome for us is that what we would do is that we would shut down. And we'd say, well, I'm not going to trust because the last time I trusted, I got hurt. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. And I get it. That feels like a safe place to be. But what we don't realize is that it's locking us up inside our own spirit, inside of our own heart. And it's locking us down. And ultimately, if we live that sort of an experience where we're trusting nobody, it's going to lead to just complete skepticism, which ultimately then is going to lead to this matter of cynicism in our lives. It is going to take over, though we probably don't realize that it's happening. This is one of those things, being a cynical person, oftentimes is one of those things that other people, they look on you and it's like, I know exactly what's going on. I see the cynicism in you, but you don't really see it in yourself. And that's a very dangerous and ultimately very unhappy place to be and to live. And if you can get your place to the, or yourself to the place where you can acknowledge that that is something that is true for me, that I am not a trusting person of anybody, you probably have already seen the skepticism. And maybe if you just look internally and are honest enough with yourself, you might just see the cynicism that is building there also. Trusting defeats cynicism. And then also, secondly, the thing that we would say is that it promotes growth. This is kind of the flip side of it defeating cynicism. When we trust, we're inviting people and ideas into our lives. There, we're saying that there are people who have perspectives that we can learn from. There are people who can, can demonstrate their character if I allow them in, more, in my life that will enrich me. We're saying that I'm not the only one who can be trusted. And the interesting thing about extending trust is that when you extend trust towards somebody else, they start to extend trust back toward you. In fact, it's the only way that it happens. There's never just a one-sided trust, not genuine trust. Trust begets 
trust. It goes back and forth. And all of a sudden, those relationships that you're in are starting to go deeper. And the bond that, ex- that you're experiencing between you and that other person grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And you might say, well, yeah, that, I can see where that might be true, but there's a lot of risk involved in extending trust towards somebody else. And I would say to you, you're absolutely right. There is risk in doing so, but the payoff, the reward is fantastic. It is worth the effort of extending that trust because that's when relationships really start to take off and grow deep and you can get into relationships that are really meaningful and really valuable. If you live on the side of cynicism, you're never going to have deep relationships. You can't. It just doesn't work that way. What we need to understand is that when we fail to trust, it impacts the health of our own heart and our own soul. And that, that doesn't just impact the relationship that we have with other people. What we need to understand is that also impacts the sort of relationship, the trust relationship that we can have ultimately with God. Because the trust factor that is in us is something that is internal to us. And so the trust we extend in any relationship, including with God, is generated out of the same place, out of the same heart. And so if we're not able to trust other people who are around us, if we're not willing to take that risk, we'll never be willing to take the risk of really putting our trust and our hope into God either. And that's why this is such an important thing for us to dig into, that it's not just I can't trust this other person over there, It's the fact that you can't trust that person over there is impacting every other relationship of trust that you might extend in your life. But the good news is that we're not locked into the level of trust that we walked in here with. It can change. You can change. And the interesting thing to me is that we can learn the principles that we need to know about this from a Christmas story. Now, not the movie A Christmas Story with Ralphie and the Red Ryder BB gun where mom is convinced he's going to Shoot your eye out. Yeah, okay, you've seen that. You know that story well. There's another story you might know even better, or you might not know it at all. But we're going to look at that one, a different Christmas story. This one has to do with a woman named Mary and a guy named Joseph and this baby Jesus. And there are some keys as we look into this story that I believe very much inform us when it comes to this matter of trust and some things that we need to understand. I hope you already have that outline out and have been filling in some of these things, but we have some more for you here. The first of those essential keys that we learn through this story is that trust compels us to suspend the logical. Trust compels us to suspend the logical. Now, I understand that just even saying that point might make you a little bit uneasy. You might be starting to sweat just by hearing me say, yeah, I think I want you to suspend the logical. Because what you might hear in that is, well, what he wants us to do is just to check our brain at the door and stop thinking and just believe. And I understand how you might come to that conclusion and thinking that just based off of the point that I have given this to you. But what I want you to do before you just dismiss all of this is just to come with me for a minute. Consider what it is that I need to say to you in this regard that we need to suspend the logical. And then at the end of this, if you decide that's all baloney, then you just leave it in the baloney category, okay? That's fine. You can do that. But come along with me before we do so, because I'm not saying that you should ignore the logical. I'm not saying that you should dismiss the logical. I'm saying I want you to suspend it for a moment. Not for good, for a moment. Now, why is it important that we would do that? 
Why is it important? Well, if we're not willing to entertain something that is outside of our predetermined logical conclusions, then what we need to acknowledge is that we're putting ourselves in a box. We're saying, this is the box of understanding that I have, and that's not going to change. In fact, you're putting the lid on the box if you're not willing to suspend the logical for a moment, and you're saying that whatever's in the box with my logic is what's going to stay there, and what's outside of the box is never going to come in. It's what it is, and that's just the way that it's going to be. But no enlightened person is going to be willing to do that because we know that we're capable of learning. We know that we are capable of growing, but oftentimes in order to learn and grow, we need to be willing to reconsider the assumptions that we have made about truth, about reality, about the things that are around us, which is essentially the same thing as suspending the logical for a moment as you consider those new things that previously you maybe hadn't considered or hadn't at least accepted as truth. The truth is that there are all sorts of things that we don't know. So it would actually be illogical for us to insist that we already have a grasp on everything. And if we don't have a grasp on everything, then we need to be willing to suspend the logical to get it. The Apostle Paul actually says when he is talking or writing in the New Testament, he tells us that God will do immeasurably beyond all that we ask or, do you know what it says? Imagine. Beyond all, God does beyond all that we ask or imagine. And if it's beyond what we can imagine, then it's outside of what we have considered to be in the realm of the logical for us because it's beyond what we can imagine. You see that, right? You get that. Of course, we're not the only ones who have faced such decisions. In this Christmas story, there's this guy named Joseph. We read about him in the very first chapter of the New Testament. It's Matthew's Gospel. And in chapter 1, and here's what it says. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. For a kind, nice man, this is what would have been logical for him to do. He believed in the law and knows what he, sh knows what he should do. And so here's this, this woman he's been pledged to. She's turned up to not be who he thought. And so she, he's just going to divorce her. Quite. That's the way that it worked in that time. And if he had insisted on doing what only was the logical, what only was the expected, then he would have missed out on being and playing his part in the whole of this story. In the whole of this Christmas story. But it goes on, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. All right, so so much for the logical, right? I mean, it's not logical that you would have an angel appear to you in a dream. It's not logical that the angel would talk to you. It's not logical that any of these circumstances would unfold. It's not logical that a woman who hasn't had sexual relations is going to end up pregnant. It's not logical that Joseph, that he is going to become the stepdad of the Messiah. So if you're Joseph, what are you going to do? You could insist, well, I'm just going to act according to what I have always believed is logical. And then you're going to have to conjure up some way to explain away the things that have been happening to you. 
the circumstances that have been going on in your life. Or you could suspend what you have considered to be logical in the past and do an honest examination of what is now staring you in the face. Those are your choices that Joseph needs to make here. Thankfully, Joseph is willing to suspend the logical to entertain what has now happened to him. He's not throwing in the towel what he has always understood to be true. He's simply taking what he's always understood to be true, and he's suspending the ultimate conclusion of that so that he might be able to try to see how to process what it is now, what that he's now been experiencing together with what it is that he's always believed to be true. You see what he's doing here, right? And if he wasn't willing to do it, Joseph would have missed out on the defining moment of his life. And what I want to say to you today and say to me today is that there are circumstances that I believe that God wants to do in our lives that are beyond what we can ask and imagine that he wants to do in us, that he wants to bring to the table for us, and we need to be willing to suspend the logical long enough so that we might be able to entertain what it is that he would be saying to us, how it is that he might be speaking to us. Instead of saying, there's a certain body of truth that I believe to be true, there are certain ways that I do believe that God can speak to me, and I've pretty much closed my mind to everything else. And as long as he tells me what I already believe to be true, as long as he tells me to go and do the things that I've already decided that I'm going to do, we're good, God, but I'm not willing to listen to, I'm not willing to suspend the logical long enough to entertain the way that God might be choosing to lead me that's outside of my realm of understanding at this moment. That's the problem. Joseph said, I'm not willing to lock myself down. I'm willing to consider whatever it is that God would say to me so that I can be the person that God desires me to be. How logical did it sound to Noah when he was told to go and build an ark? Not logical at all, but he did it and he entered into the moment that defines his life. How logical was it for David to go and fight Goliath or for Joshua to go and accept the battle plan to march around Jericho seven times? How logical was it for Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a place that he had never been before under the promise of God that he was going to make his descendants greater than the stars in the sky when at that moment he was living with a barren woman who was old? It made no sense at all. It was definitely outside of the logical. But because all of them were willing to go and entertain something that was outside of what seemed to make sense to them in the moment, they get to participate in the defining moment and experience of their lives. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me in this Christmas season that we could experience that. If you only want to live in the ordinary and in the expected, then don't entertain that God is able to do or desiring to do in your life anything beyond what you can already touch, what you already know. But... But if you want to transcend an experience with a supernatural God who does supernatural things in people's lives, so it's not just the same old, same old going forward, then you have that God in front of you as well, who I believe is speaking, but you need to open up your heart and your mind to trust and to suspend for a moment the logical while you listen to what it is that he has to say, if we're going to trust God, we need to do it by His plans, not our presumptions. By His plans, not our presumptions. The wisdom writer tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
Lean not on what you already believe is the body of truth through which God can speak to you. Not your own understanding, but trust in Him and see where it is that He may lead you. That's the first key if we're going to learn to trust. We need to open ourselves up to all of what God might say to us. Now, some of you are still a little bit nervous about this. It's like, I, I'm, still, I, I'm still, my hands are sweating. It still sounds a little bit out there for me. Well, let me give you the second point, which might just bring you a little bit more comfort. And it's this, that trust is not a blind leap. Trust is not a blind leap. As we've already said, trust is not about checking your brain at the door. There might be some things that we don't fully understand, but we still want to evaluate what we're experiencing in light of what we've already know, the truth that God has already brought to us. That's not just to be dismissed. We need to somehow figure out how those things work together. Considering the circumstance that Joseph is in, it's important to take a look at his story. He's been visited by an angel in a dream and told about a baby who is going to have a mother but not going to have a human father. That's a lot to take in, and you can be sure that Joseph is trying to process what it is that he has now been told together with what he's already known. Nobody's telling him to throw out everything that you've ever heard or ever known from the past, but he's trying to figure out how do these things work together. And there are some things that he knows from his past that are going to inform his present moment. And here's how the story goes on in verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, we don't know for sure how much attention Joseph paid in Hebrew Sunday school, but this definitely would have been one of the coloring pages. There's no doubt about it because this is like the most important prophecy from the Old Testament time and Joseph would have been exposed to it early and often in his life. No doubt about that. Now, not in his wildest dreams did he believe that he was going to be playing a central role in the drama, but when the angel tells him that in this dream that Mary, who had not have, had relations with any man, was going to become pregnant, you can bet that his mind went to that prophecy. You can bet that his mind conjured up what he had been taught all along, that a virgin was going to conceive and give birth to a son. Again, it's probably outside of his frame of reference to think that I'm going to be involved in this plan or that Mary is that virgin that would have shaken his world to be sure, but it wouldn't have been completely outside of the realm of things that he understood. It wouldn't have made a blind leap for him because there is already a body of truth that he came to understand. There are circumstances that come into our lives all the time as well where we are invited to, a place, to place our trust in God and what he's asking of us. And it's not a blind leap because there are already things that we have in our background, things that we have experienced that come to help us to process the new things that are coming. And so we don't need to make it a blind leap, as difficult or as challenging as it may seem to us, because we can't always see exactly where our feet are going to land when we take off in the trust or when we step out in faith. It's not a blind leap to give yourself fully to God because you've been exposed to the idea that Jesus came to this earth so that he might establish a relationship with you. It's not a blind leap. 
We've been told that. We've been taught that. We understand that's what this Christmas season is about, is that Jesus came and left his throne in heaven and came into our world so that he might have relationship with us. So the idea of us desiring to have that all-in sort of relationship with him, if we sense that's what God is calling me to do, that's not something that is just a blind leap for you because you already are down the road on that. God's already revealed something to you that you can put that together with. It might be still a challenge for you to consider how all of that works together and and actually getting yourself to jump off into that point, but it's not a blind leap. Just like it wasn't for Joseph. Had to process his way through it, but he got there. Nobody was asking him to to just take a, a, a blind leap, to check his mind at the door and just go this direction and believe might be that you're struggling with the whole idea of giving your life over to Jesus Christ at all and establishing a relationship with Him in the first place where it feels to you like, well, it would just be a blind leap for me to jump off and all of a sudden become a Christian. All of a sudden enter into faith. But it's probably not for you because there are other circumstances in your life that have led you to the place that, one, even have you sitting and listening to this message. Or circumstances where you've looked around you at the beauty of nature and it's like, yeah, it seems like something's behind this. Someone's behind all of this beauty. Or you look at the intricacies of the human body and it's like there's got to be some design here. There are things, there are ways that the Spirit of God has been communicating to you. Things that you've considered, things that you have thought. So it's not as much of a blind leap as what you might originally have kind of talked yourself into believing that it would be. Because God has already been revealing himself to you. We need to be willing to suspend the logical if we're going to trust. We need to recognize that it's not a blind leap that we're taking. And then there's one more essential key when it comes to developing trust, and that is that trust is not trust until there is action. Trust is not trust until there is action. Imagine that I was going to do that trust fall off this stage. What's the first thing I'd do? First thing I'd do is I'd ask for some volunteers to come up here and catch me. What's the second thing I'd do? I'd choose some of you to come up and catch me because we didn't have enough volunteers. That's the second thing that I would do, all right? But now I've got you up here and I told you what it is I need you to do and how you need to lock your arms and what, whatever so that you would catch me. But what if I just can't do it? I just can't fall. How much would you believe me if I said, I trust you? How convincing would my statement be to you that I trust you if I'm not willing to actually follow? It wouldn't mean anything at all to you. You wouldn't believe me for a moment. And it works that same way in every realm of life. Your child isn't going to believe you trust them until you let them go out on their own, until you, until you give them some serious responsibility. You're not going to believe that your boss trusts you until he puts you in charge of the big project or puts you in charge of some of the finances. And it's the same with God. You can say that you trust the purpose and direction that he has for you in your life, but until you start to live by his will and his leading, you don't trust him at all. You haven't really put your trust in him. Maybe conditionally you've done so. Or maybe in some small corner you've done what you think is trust but it really isn't because you haven't been willing to go all in with God back in our story Joseph has had his dream he's been told what 
to do, and he knows how it fits into the design of God for all of mankind. And he could have said until he's blue in the face, Lord, I trust you, could have gone on his knees, could have worshipped the Lord, could have expressed, you are my Lord, whatever you say is gospel truth, and I will do. But until he did it, there would be no convincing anybody. Because trust is not trust until there's action. So what does Joseph do? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I wonder what there is in your life today where you know that you should be living for God but you haven't been able to pull the trigger on that because you haven't been able to trust. You haven't really entered into that space. Might have to do with an apology that needs to be given. Might have to do with a commitment to serve or to sacrifice. You already know what the Lord has been calling you to do. In fact, that's why we're talking about this as being the simplicity of trust. Again, it's not because it's easy, because it's not easy. We've pointed that out. The simplicity of trust doesn't mean it's easy. It means that it's straightforward. Because my guess is that for most of us, in most of the circumstances of our life, we already know what we're supposed to do. We know what action trust in God would lead us to. It's just a matter of doing it. See, we resist it because we don't like where that's going to ultimately take it. It's not that we can't trust in what it is that He's calling us to do. We can't trust in our understanding of what it is that we're supposed to do. It's just that we're kind of rebelling. We don't want to go there. We don't want to be that person. We don't like what that's going to take away from us. It's not a trust issue. It's an obedience issue. The simplicity of trust means that it's straightforward. And if you ask in your heart today, Lord, what should I do? What would be the right thing to do? My guess is you already have the answer. In almost every circumstance, it's just a matter, matter of executing it. Believing that God is going to come through for you. And ultimately, what I want for you in this Christmas season is a willingness to trust God with where He's calling you to go. The depth of the commitment that He's calling you to make. The ministry to jump into. The generosity to extend. You consider it for yourself but I believe that there is a simplicity of trust that I want for all of us because as we do so, we're going to find ourselves anew and afresh right in the center of God's will where He would desire us to be. And that's where I long for us to live. Friends, I encourage you and I challenge you today to live in the simplicity of trust. Heavenly Father, Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for what we learn about the simplicity of trust, of just giving ourselves over to what you're calling us to do. Lord, we do acknowledge today that there are times when it's kind of hard to figure that out.
kind of hard to enter into it because we need to be willing to open up our minds to where you're leading us and to how you're leading us. And Lord, today you desire to take some of us in directions that we haven't previously been willing to go. But we thank you that you have that direction in store and in mind for us. Lord, I ask today that you would make us willing to suspend what we've always insisted be true so that we wouldn't miss anything that you desire to say to us. Not to ignore the logical, not to dismiss it, to suspend it while you speak to us. And it may be that you lead us to a brand new logical as a result, but we don't want to lean on our own understanding. We want to put our trust in you, and we do that now for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.